Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We're a church for imperfect people only. We're in our series, LA is Corinth. Because as we walk through 1 Corinthians, we see so many similarities between that city and ours. Like LA, it was a port city filled with wealth and immigration. It was a sports capital, second only to the Olympics. Like LA, it was extremely sexualized with Aphrodite as the goddess of love and her temple just outside the city. A part of worshiping her was sleeping with one of her 1,000 priestess. Lastly, like LA, the church was deeply divided along political lines. Sound familiar? And the whole time, Paul is trying to call the community of Christ to live Christian values in the midst of this culture, and it's a fight. As we walk through this letter, we are encouraged and called in the same ways to live for Jesus while living in L.A. I think so. I think this is perfect. Uh, good morning, guys. We're, uh, it's chilly in here. Uh, we're in a basketball gym. We're also in the house of the Lord. So uh, I'm still on my L.A. Rams victory high. And so right now, I want us to get a little comfortable. I want us to get in our triple threat stance, get buckle our knees, wiggle our butts to the back of the chair so we feel the, we feel the frame of the whole chair. Um, but I want us to get comfortable and locked in. I think Cooper Cup does this when he's on the starting line. Um, but I want us to be locked in so that we're present for what God has for us today. And so I want to start us off with, in a typical renewed fashion, we love to be in community. We love to connect with each other. And we think a part of that is our opening questions. And so uh, if you guys could snag a new friend, give them an elbow wing or a fist bump or a sup nod, and ask them these questions, how? Um, our first question is, how does our culture view death? And our second question is have you seen any good horror scary movies? We don't necessarily encourage you to watch them, but have you ever seen any? Okay, cool. I'll bring us back in a few minutes. I think, uh, I think when it comes to the topic of death, this is probably the most I've heard laughing and uh, chatting and liveliness. So um, that's a good sign that there's a lot of life here at our church. And so, um, now that we're ready, we're locked in, we're in triple threat, we're in Cooper Cup mode, let's jump in. And so I, as I was thinking about this question, how our culture views death, I, I thought about how death can be a pretty strange thing to talk about. Um, I didn't wake up this morning and choose violence to think about death. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't naturally wake up in the morning thinking about it. And I also don't think our culture gives it too much time of day either. I don't think death, we can, we can pinpoint to too many moments where death is brought up that much. I think if anything, I, my personal belief is that we try to avoid the topic of death uh, most of the time. A good example is where our meat comes from. I think about when we pick up a burrito, uh, a steak or carnitas burrito from Chipotle, we buy chicken nuggets from McDonald's, or we even pick up meat at the market. It's become so disconnected where our meat comes from. We, we don't associate that, that item with the death of an animal. And I think our culture has really done a good job of hiding that. 
I think we also see this in how we invest in anti-aging creams or, or the newest vitamins, as if we want to show that the effects of aging have no power over us. They don't work on me. We'll, we'll cover our wrinkles or, or we'll even avoid the topic of our age. And I think this picks at some of our cultural values. We don't know how to see beauty outside of youthfulness. We always will elevate and hear how, uh, how great and how young this person looks for their age. But sometimes I think we're communicating that we're really only seeing beauty in youthful characteristics. But what about seeing beauty in someone aging gracefully? What about seeing beauty in someone stepping into the next chapter of their life with style and grace? And I think we even see this in our media and TV shows, right, don't we? I think about how there'll be this father of four um, who looks amazing, incredible, who looks like he's maybe 35 years old and he's just thriving fit with the six pack. I think about how the grandmas in that same movie will look like they're 50, you know, and that even the kids, the middle school kids or the high school kids, they look like they're older than me. They look like they could beat me up. They could buy beer. And these are just some of the ways that our culture approaches and thinks about death. And when we even engage with it, when we even, even talk about death, I still think our culture does it in unhealthy ways. We don't really know how to grieve well, and I think that's evidenced in the statistics with addiction. I think when we look at addiction and how closely tied they are, that we, we turn to these things instead of grieving well, instead of uh, acknowledging our hurts and our losses. And if we don't know how to grieve well, we really don't know how to sit well with another person that's hurting as well, too. And so overarching all of this, I think there's this deep fear of death. And I think a good example is, is how pop culture in Hollywood presents it in horror movies. I, I might bet a dollar that no one has the same movie example as me, but I feel like I'm revoking my, my millennial card. But uh, a movie that I thought of with a horror movie is a movie called The Birds. And this movie, there we go. And, and this movie, The Birds, is exactly as terrifying as it kind of sounds and alludes to. The birds have turned against us. They're swift, they're elusive, they fly out of my reach. And they come in and they slice me and then fly back up. Uh, it's exactly how you'd imagine. And there's this part of the movie that I'll never forget watching. Now, this movie's from the 1960s, and they feel like they're all safe in their houses. They're like, birds can't break down doors, right? And there's this moment where this wife is heading home, and as she's approaching her front door, she sees that the window is bashed in. That a bird has now committed suicide by flying through the window, has broken through for his other brethren to come through to attack the man. And there's this deep fear that sets in. And as she turns the corner, she sees this, there's this horrific shot that I'll never forget. Um, she sees her husband, claw marks all over, with his eyes pecked out. Ew, I know, pretty gross, right? And it's this horrific way of death. And I'll never forget that image. And it's dramatized, it's, it's hopeless. It, feeds on our distress. It, it, it causes this absolute fear of death. 
And at the root, isn't that kind of what makes a horror movie so scary? Um, because that person that's holding on for dear life or they're running from the boogeyman or whatever it is, it's the end of the road for them. There's this finality to it. There's no second chapter or, or no next life. And that's really as deep or as far as our culture will go when it comes to death. We avoid it at all costs. And so if this is how our culture handles death, what's the Christian and healthy view? Well, we acknowledge that death is part of the human experience. It's something that we all share and we all have in common. But for the Christian, we hold this tension and this reality softly. Death is, is bittersweet for us. It, it's kind of this hopeful sorrow where we long and wish for the nearness of a person. But we also celebrate the end of suffering. We grieve and miss the friendship and the companionship of that person. But we also celebrate knowing that their story is not over. That it's not the finale. It's not a dead end. But it's a new chapter. It's a new beginning in heaven and new earth. And so scripture tells us that a healthy view of death is knowing that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have an eternal home from God awaiting us. That apart from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And so the past couple weekends, uh, we talked about what the resurrection of Christ means with Erwin uh, with and, and the resurrection of the dead with Pastor Dave. And in our passage today, Paul now appeals to the resurrection body. He begins in response to two questions posed that we see in verse 35. And if you're with us, we're in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 58 today. And the two questions posed are, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? And before we dive in, I want to I give us the spark notes, some quick notes on this. And I want us to pay close, close, close attention to the compare and contrast that is happening, that is going back and forth. And Adam, we know, is the first man created by God. But Jesus here is known as the last Adam. They're connected in both that they make an impact on every person here today. The Bible tells us that there's a natural body and there's also a spiritual body. There's an earthly body and there's a renewed physical body. There's perishable and there's now imperishable. We see this in the first Adam and the last Adam, which is Jesus. So let's hold this in view and let's read 45 40 through 49 and let's dive in. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So that's a lot. That's a lot of going back and forth and comparing and, and contrasting. And so through the first Adam, we see very clearly that this is how we received our natural and fleshly bodies. This body here is just like Adam's. Centuries later, and through Adam, sin entered the world in a decision that he had made. And, 
And I bear that today. We bear that today. We experience sin just like Adam did. We live in this present reality. And the consequences of this decision when Adam ate of the fruit were steep for our physical world. This is when our blood and our flesh became perishable. We feel our bodies deteriorate all the time. I, I would bet that even waking up this morning, some of you guys may have ached, cracked your back this way, cracked your back that way. And you may even feel it now as you're sitting in this chair. Maybe your, butt, your butt's sore, or maybe your knees are aching, or your back is sore. And we, we, these uh, perishing effects, these deterioration of our bodies is noticeable too. When I was younger, uh, I'm a big basketball junkie guy. Um, I'm really torn right now. I love LeBron James, but I don't like the Lakers. But I remember that I would try and copy these players. And I would, uh, this is when I felt invincible. I think when everyone's young, they feel invincible. And I remember I would cross over my defenders. I would give them shimmies. I would drive to the hole. And whether there was a foul or not, I would yell, and one! And I would beat my chest. Now when I play basketball here at church, I slow down on fast breaks. I, I slow down on fast breaks and I say, we need to reset the offense. I need to take breaks. <laughs> uh, now I'm not fighting to be on the court. I say, you go. And so my body is perishing. It's on this journey that is perishing. And I think we, we notice this. In the past few seasons, we've experienced and we've seen cancer and COVID is part of this too. In this perishable world, we experience symptoms. In the spiritual, the spiritual body does not. We experience symptoms like sore throats, coughs, chills, aches when our body is extra weak. And so when Adam ate the forbidden fruit, he represented all of mankind. All of us he represented when he walked away from God. And I think it's really hard for us to think about representation um, when, Adam, when we talk about Adam doing this. It's even especially hard for an individualistic culture to even think that this guy's decision affects me now today. Um, I had nothing. I had no say in that. Well, one way we can think about this is on a national level. This is very present, very, it's similar to like Biden going to war with Russia. And so if Biden were to declare that he is declaring war on Russia today on behalf of Ukraine, this is a decision that we all fall under. As Americans or as residents here, we would all fall under this decision. We Americans would be at war with Russians. And so in a similar way, when Adam made this decision, at this decision and moment, Sin and death came into the world, and it reigned until Jesus' time. And so when we read this passage, Jesus is referred to as the last Adam, because he also represents all of mankind. In his death and resurrection, he became the Savior for the world. And the amazing part here is that with Jesus, we have a choice here. With Adam, we, we did not, we fell under his decision, but now with Jesus as our representer, we can choose to say, Jesus, I want you to represent me. I don't want to be represented by Adam in sin in his flesh anymore, but we can say, I want your death and resurrection, Jesus. I want that to represent my life. I want that to be my reality. And so Adam brought physical life. And Jesus brought us spiritual life. 
One brought sin into this world, and the other took on the sins for us. One brought a debt owed, and the other was a payment. It was forgiveness. And so Jesus has been raised and resurrected, so also we will be raised and resurrected. This is why Christ's resurrection changes everything. Jesus conquered death in his resurrection. He's the master of it. If you guys remember Pastor Dave's uh, sermon last week when he was talking about that trophy analogy, that, um, that you can look at this trophy and look at the exact date and be like, oh, that's when, uh, that's when Jesus conquered death. It is this exact moment that we can look to that is tangible, factual, that Jesus conquered and has mastery over death. And so that means so much for us. That also means that Jesus has mastery over our lives, has mastery over death in our lives too. And that he can do what he says he can. That he is who he says he is. And that he is raised so we will also be. And this is the good news that Jesus has the victory And it's why we can say, where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? And when we think about being resurrected in our bodies too, I want us to pause on this apex, on this apex moment that's just so epic. We're we're thinking about um, death and our, our, our life after with Jesus. And it can be hard to really ground this or even conceptualize this. And a common misconception is that heaven is this ethereal place with twinkling spirits that when we die will be these glowing um, energy wisps in the air. But in actuality, scripture tells us at the end, the physical earth will be remade. That when Jesus comes back on his second coming, that that's when we will be given renewed physical bodies. It's here on this new earth that we dwell with Jesus in our new bodies. It's a restoration of how God originally intended. So what does this all mean for our physical bodies? What did God originally intend? Well, let's read verses 42 through 44. The Bible says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So we read here there's this contrast of earthly and renewed physical bodies back and forth. And there's four things that we know here. We see that there's no more sickness than death, no more shame because of sin, no more weakness and temptation, and there's no more natural, no limits to the physical sphere. I thought you guys would be a lot more excited. This is so cool to think about, that instead of going to um, retreat, right, guys, to Zion, that we can do a retreat on Mount Everest. We can all meet there, and that we could hike it together, and if one falls off the cliff, you know, we can just wait for them to come right back up. We won't perish. We're not going to perish. I'll wait half a day, maybe up to a day, but the retreat has to go on. And, and I think about how we can hike or swim to the Mariana Trench, this place that human body, the flesh cannot even go because it would be crushed by gravity, that we would perish and die, the lowest point on earth. We can explore these places, these places that we've dreamed of see, seeing. 
And there's a really cool aspect here too, that there's also no hospitals. The cemeteries are empty. Can we imagine how wonderful of a day this will be? And there's no more shame because of sin. Sin's effects are gone. There's no hiding. There's no lying. There's no deceit. We don't hide parts of ourselves anymore. We don't have to people please. We can experience relationship being fully seen, fully known by others and our creator. And I remember early in my walk with the Lord really yearning for this. I was struggling as a new Christian, but not yet free from my addictions. And drugs and drinking went really hand in hand with my sexual addictions. It almost played off each other back to back. And I remember just wishing that someone would know me, that someone would know my pains, that someone would know how hard that I've been trying to break free from this. That is something that addiction is a real thing that's constantly looming over every shadow, every night, every time I'm going to bed. And I think about the immense shame that I felt that ruled over my life in that time. That week after week, I would have one hand on myself, on a pipe, on a pill, and then the next day, one hand towards the sky in heaven. But the resurrection says that there will be no more shame. There will be no more sin. And that gives me immense hope that in my present circumstance, I know that there is something that goes, there's a victory that goes beyond it. And three, there's no more weakness and temptation. There's no more greed or lust. There's, we can go about our days not being bogged down by this constant throbbing pressure of this world. Can you imagine this? Can you even imagine what it looks like to not sin anymore? That one day we'll wake up and we won't have to try anymore? One day we'll wake up and we won't have to rile ourselves up for another good fight? And man, I, I think about how I've been struggling with those addictions for 15 plus years. My longing to find worth in anything but God and women and, and to desire the numb and numb the anxieties that I felt. And it's this very sin that mars our relationship with God. It keeps us from seeing him. It keeps us from, being, from knowing him. And how it hounds us constantly, day in and day out. Can we imagine what it would be like to have freedom from this? How much we've been longing for this. And fourth, there's no more natural no limits to the time or physical sphere. There's no rush to be somewhere. There's no anxiousness. There's no next transition that we're bracing ourselves for. We can settle in and feel stability. We can feel safe. We can get comfortable knowing that this is our home. And so can we picture how amazing this time will be? That we get to do all these things and more in our new bodies, free of sin. And we also get to do all these things with each other, and we get to do it with Jesus. That is an amazing, that is the best picture I can imagine. And this is how the Bible tells us how to view death. We see death as a conquered enemy, one that Jesus has mastery over. 
and there's a path and a way forward because Jesus goes before us. So how do we live in response to this? What does this mean for our lives now? Well, as we turn to verse 54 through 58, the Bible says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's two things now that the resurrection compels us to do, that Jesus is resurrection. And the first is stand firm. We see in verse 58, let nothing move you. Christ has swallowed up death, and we stand on this very truth, knowing the battle is won. When we experience a hard day, a hard season, that feels endless. We can see that there's a victory that goes beyond it, that grounds us in the now. And I think about how Kimberly and I have stared bipolar in the face. I've been frozen in bed in anxiety. And Kimberly has come home and I've told her that I just couldn't move because I felt so crushed. Our generation is constantly wrestling with this. There's this sense that we're down and out. It's hopeless. It's an end of the road. There's nowhere to go. But the resurrection says at the end of the story, we win. We have hope that we don't lose, that even though our present circumstances are real, there's a victory beyond it. Jesus' resurrection compels us and impacts us to always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing our labor is not in vain. It's investing in things that are imperishable, subscribing to what God values, Breaking, our hearts breaking for what breaks his. Are we prioritizing this in our lives? Are we prioritizing people, relationships? When we think about our lives in light of eternity, are we situating our lives now around the work of the Lord? Are we giving ourselves to godliness, biblical justice, character, things that are imperishable. And we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain, and we can do this in complete confidence, knowing that God has a purpose and a plan, knowing the effort that we put in, the work we do, the relationships that we invest in are of eternal significance. We know the Lord sees our hearts, and he's working all these things for his grander purpose. And when we think back on our lives, what things have we put effort towards that were in vain? What things that are perishable that we've invested too much, too much time in, too much money, too much energy? Man, when I look back at my own story, I remember hearing a message at a crew meeting um, a long time ago in college. And this message was on not wasting your life. And all I could remember uh, when I heard those words of not wasting your life, all I could remember was just thinking about what I spend my life on. What are the things I'm giving my energy towards? 
And the things I was putting all my energy towards was to change my status, to get a girlfriend. All my energy was going into going to the gym to look good so I could look good at the beach. My energy was going towards this hustle and making money so I could get this passive income and, and retire early. That seemed like the, the biggest goal of my life. And I remember asking God what my mark on this earth would be. That when I die, God, and I'm coming face to face with you, and you ask me to give an account of how I use my time here. Will I say, here's my large home, God, in OC? Will I say that I made more money than my peers? That I made it to age 90, God. I made it a long life, and I look pretty good. What about my signed basketball collection with all these legendary athletes? God, have you seen this? And it's then that I realized that maybe I've been investing too much into things that will pass. Things that won't come with me when I die. Are there things in your life that are perishable that you've invested too much in? Do we think about what the things that are imperishable are? Things like relationships, people, restoration, biblical justice. And I wanted to pause and just reflect on our own family here. And when I think about Renew, I was just filled, and I think about our church, I was filled with happiness and joy. Because a large part of our staff meetings, I don't think we, um, we don't do this on purpose, and I don't think it's whimsically either. But a large part of our staff meetings, we just spend time celebrating what God is doing in our community. The ways that God is moving and how we're living out Jesus' mission and that we're being God's family. And I don't think there's a naivete to that. I think there's a real celebration. That when I think about when we're tabling on campus and there's 10, 15 students joining us, that I really see us standing in the gap there. That, that as we are sharing the gospel, but we're standing in the gap between all the other clubs, all the other temptations of the world. One club is selling partying in the forms of Greek life. One, one is offering belonging and identity in the forms of hobbies um, or not even in Christ. There's a false gospel being offered by cults, and we're standing in that gap. In our missions meetings, in RFKC, we're investing in things that are eternal. We're moving towards a place where Jesus' name is not known we're moving towards foster children that don't have a mother, a father, or both, and we're standing there. We're moving towards them instead of away. The money that's given here, that we sow into here, that we tithe, that we offer, is being sowed into kingdom work. It's being sown into kingdom work locally and globally. And I see it also in Renew at our occupations. That when we have so many healthcare workers here, and as you're caring for a patient so often, it, you're not just doing it just because it's your job, but you're meeting their needs, you're loving them, you're conversing with them. That's eternal work. I see it in the business owners here at our church too. That your employees are really people that you're responsible for. You have to think of their families, their marriages, their children. And as you provide for them and care for them, that's eternal work there. That's imperishable. 
I think about the teachers here or the CM in our children's ministry and the people that serve, that they're investing in the character and the development and the godliness of our young little ones, our students. That is eternal significance and weight. And so that's my prayer for us as we close. That I would pray that we would continue to do this, but that we would dream and think of ways that maybe God is calling us to step further. Maybe take another step of faith. What it looks like to position our lives around what God is doing. That we would stand firm knowing that the Lord's work is worthwhile. And that it's our portion to carry. And, and knowing that in all of our efforts that the Lord goes before us in victory. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Father, thank you as we have just dwelled and just thought richly about your resurrection and what it means for us. Lord, thank you that we know we have a victory in you and it's one that we can bank on and count on. And Lord, thank you as we just think about Jesus' sacrifice and we look forward to the day that we can rid of these fleshly and sinful bodies, Lord, and we can be with you frolicking or running through the garden, climbing Mount Everest, or just dwelling and just being in direct communion with you. Jesus, we can't wait for that day. But Lord, I just thank you for your portion that you've given us here, Lord, that you've given us each other and something to steward well here on this earth. And I just pray that over our church family here today, Lord, that we would think thoughtfully and richly of what it looks like to dedicate all in and commit ourselves around your work, Lord, the things of you, that our heart would break for the things that break your heart, Lord, that we would think of the things that you think of too. And Lord, I just uh, thank you for this morning that we just join in churches across the whole world, that at this moment, a million, a billion people are praising your name and worshiping you. Thank you that we get to join and we get to do that forevermore in heaven with you. So, Lord, we just thank you for your kindness, your goodness, and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast or you can visit our website and your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, Please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.